We pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts this morning be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, you who are our rock, our light, and our redeemer. Amen. <clears throat> All right, brothers and sisters in our risen Lord Jesus, I got a question for you this morning. What exactly is the nature of your relationship with God's word? What exactly is the nature of your relationship with God's word? I'm not asking you how often you read your Bible. But I guess what I'm asking you is, what do you think about your Bible? What exactly is the nature of your relationship with God's word? Now, so hopefully, like, as Christians, I would presume that God's word is, is important to us and that maybe God's word is, is pretty valuable for us, I would hope. But I wonder if that looks different from person to person. So perhaps for some of you, God's word, the Bible, is something that you maybe associate with your childhood. Uh, you learned Bible stories in Sunday school. You studied Bible teachings maybe in like a confirmation class. But in short, the Bible is something that built your spiritual foundation a long time ago. Uh, perhaps for others of you, the Bible is something that you associate with bringing you to faith as an adult. Where maybe it's more recently that God sent his word and called you out of the darkness into the light. God sent his word and he showed you that he loves you and that he forgives you and that he wants you to be part of his family. So in short, maybe for you, the Bible is something that triggered a turning point in your life perhaps more recently. But either one of those views of the Bible, they both have something in common, and do you know what it is? It's that they're both focused on the past. They both look at God's word as something that has brought you in to Christianity, which of course is exactly what God's word has actually done. But what next? What then? So God's word has been a great blessing to us in the past, but what role is it supposed to play in our life right now? Today, what exactly is the nature of your relationship with God's word? It's an interesting question to think about. Um, for the next six weeks, as we mentioned at the beginning of the service, we're going to be going through this sermon series for summer called Light, on my, or Light for My Path. And in this series, we are, going to be, we are all going to be deeply challenged in our view of God's word. And the person that is going to be challenging us is a psalm writer from 3,000 years ago whose name we don't even know. Might have been King David. Not sure that it was. Whoever this psalm writer was, though, he is the one who's responsible for penning Psalm 119, which is not only the longest psalm and the longest chapter in the entire Bible, but Psalm 119 is probably the most passionate tribute to the daily value of God's word that, that has ever been written. It's, it's really astounding when you read Psalm 119. And as I've read through the Bible, sometimes I get to this psalm, I kind of speed read it because it's so long and I'm not really retaining anything. Last time I read through the Bible, I slowed down and read it piece by piece. And it was really eye-opening to listen to this, this guy, whoever this psalm writer is, to listen to him talk and talk about God's word. For him, God's word is so much more than something that brought him to faith. It's so much more than like a set of teachings that he has subscribed to. To him, God's word is 
a treasure chest full of knowledge. It's, it's a library full of wisdom. It is a living, breathing source of guidance for every second of every minute, of every hour, of every day. This psalm writer is obsessed with God's word. It is not an exaggeration to say that for him, God's word is the single most important thing that he has in his life. So just listen to how this guy talks. Here's a couple quotes from Psalm 119. He says, I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. My soul is consumed with longing for your laws at all times. In fact, at midnight, I rise just to give you thanks for your righteous laws. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Your statutes are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. So these are not just the words of somebody who's found value in God's word in the past. These are the words of somebody who's desperate to spend as much time with God's word as possible so that God's word can shed light on all of his paths and impart wisdom into all of his decision-making. God's word is for him, without exaggeration, the single most important thing in his life. So, the question before us is, what would it be like if we viewed God's word the same way? If we became so drawn to the Bible that we almost would wake up at midnight just to say a special prayer, man, I love the Bible, thank you so much, God, and fall back asleep. What would it look like if we valued the Bible so highly like this? So to explore that question, this summer we're going to be reading Psalm 119. We're not going to read the whole thing, it's 176 verses long, but each Sunday we'll read one nice little eight-verse section We'll dig into each verse. We'll try to understand what the psalm writer is saying. But then by God's grace, we'll be trying to build more than just our understanding. But hopefully we'll also grow in our love for God and our appreciation for his word and our willingness to let his word guide our steps each and every day. So with that introduction then, let's get started. Today's section begins with this verse, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. We talked about that with the kids. I think this is probably the most famous verse from Psalm 119. I think the metaphor is very clear that if we want to see where we're walking, right, God's word is like our flashlight that's going to show us. That sounds good. We say to our kids, let God's word guide your path. But is that really, like maybe as adults, is that really the way we treat God's word? Knowing that we're sinful people, knowing that we live in a sinful world, I think it's at least possible that sometimes maybe our approach to God's word is actually quite a bit different. I wonder if there's times when instead of a lamp to my feet and a light for my path, maybe instead we're saying God's word is a problem to be solved. Yes, the Bible comes from God, but it's our job to interpret it for modern times, right? It's our job to explain away the parts that might be offensive to people. Or, or it's our job to distill and pull out whatever parts are still relevant. Or maybe even it's our job to determine which parts are true. Sometimes we think like this. and Where does this thinking come from? Well, we live at a place and a time. We're part of a society and a culture. And I think it, it, it's something we've got to point out. 
is that we live in a postmodern age. And in a postmodern age, people are very skeptical to this idea of an absolute truth. And the idea is instead that individuals determine truth for themselves. People talk this way all the time. Like, I'm sorry, but I gotta speak my truth. As though I have a truth, and then maybe your truth is different. But you don't judge my truth, I'm not gonna judge your truth. Truth is dependent on the individual person. This is the kind of society that we live in, right? Everybody wants to do their own thing, think their own way, live their own way, determine their own kind of morality, and nobody gets to tell you who's right and wrong. There's no absolute truth. So in that kind of a world, it's no, response, or it's no surprise that people would apply this same thought to biblical truth. And even that Christians would think this way about biblical truth, where instead of treating God's word as a lamp for our feet and a light for our path, we start to treat God's word like this puzzle that we are supposed to solve. So maybe that's one approach to God's word that's, that's not so great. Uh, let's talk about another one that's not so great. Maybe there's times when instead of saying God's word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path, instead we're saying God's word is a task to be accomplished. I wonder if you felt that way even with our opening statement today when you said, what's your relationship with God's word? We start automatically thinking God's word is this thing that I'm supposed to read a certain number of times and then God and I are going to be good, right? So if I read my devotion plan faithfully, if I come to church a certain amount, if I come to Bible study a certain amount, then God is going to like me. And if I miss my devotions, if I skip church a few too many times, if I miss Bible studies, then God's not going to like me. And so God's word is this box we have to check and this task that we're supposed to accomplish. But if we do that, do you recognize what we're doing? This is so ironic because now, even though we're spending so much time in God's word, like we've got to hit our devotion every day or God's going to be mad at us, we're spending all this time in God's word and yet we've totally departed from the message of what God's word says. The Bible teaches us that we're not made right with God by boxes that we check or by things that we do. We are made right with God by the perfect life and death of our Savior Jesus. Not by our perfect church attendance. Not by our perfect Bible reading schedule. In fact, a person could read the Bible every day, come to church every Sunday, and if they're just using it to cover up a life of unrepentant sin, there's a problem between them and God. And likewise, there could be a person who does not read the Bible like they want to, and they miss Bible study all the time, and sometimes they can barely make it to church. And yet, if in their heart is faith in Jesus as their Savior and not themselves, God's status, their status before God is wonderful. They're God's own dear child through the forgiveness coming by their Savior. So I want to make this very clear at the beginning of this series. Your status with God does not depend on how much you read the Bible. It depends on Jesus. God is not going to like you more if you read the Bible more. God already likes you a whole lot. He sent his son to die for you. Your status with God is determined by Jesus. So, whether we sometimes think of God's word as this problem to be solved or this task that we have to accomplish in either one of these ways, we're kind of doing the same thing. We're looking at God's word and then we're making it all about ourself. I have to do it. I have to figure it out. Pressure on me. But that shouldn't really surprise us because that, that's how our sinful nature works. Our sinful nature is, is obsessed with ourself. 
We're not obsessed with God's word. We're obsessed with ourselves. We're very selfish. We think about ourselves all of the time. And so we get into God's word and we just get buried in thinking about ourselves. We make God's word all about ourselves. And if you can picture that metaphor then, instead of walking through the dark and God's word is a light shining my path, it's like I've got this really bright flashlight and I'm just staring at it in my own eyes. And now I'm, now I'm blinded. And now I'm standing still. And now I still can't see how to walk on my path. I'm, I'm stuck. So what's the solution? What's the answer? How can we move forward and have God's word actually be lighting our path and leading us the way that it's supposed to do? The answer is actually found in the content of God's word itself. Because the message of God's word is all about this. It's about God's plan to turn us from selfishness and sin and to pull us up to himself and then to lead us out into the world. So here's something I don't know if you've ever thought about. This is a, an interesting thought. Did you know that Christianity is not the only religion that contains the concept of God's forgiveness? You know that? Christianity is not the only religion with the concept of God's forgiveness. I was reading a novel this past week, and there's a character in that novel who's a Muslim, and she had done some things in the past, and she was hopeful that Allah would forgive her for her sins if she repented for them. And in fact, lots of Muslims, I think probably every Muslim person is hopeful that Allah is going to forgive their sins. In the Muslim faith, there are 99 names for God that they often list, and name number one is Ar-Rahman, God Most Merciful. So, Christianity is not the only religion that contains the concept of God's forgiveness. Do you know that? Do you think about that ever? But here's why the Bible is special. It doesn't just talk about the concept of God's forgiveness. And really, everyone in the world wants the concept of God's forgiveness. Don't we all hope that someday when we die, God's going to forgive us for the bad stuff we did? Everybody wants the concept of God's forgiveness. But in the Bible, God explains the means by which he is going to provide forgiveness. And that's a big difference. From the very beginning of the Bible on, God repeatedly makes the point that his forgiveness is not going to come for no reason. It's not going to come just because God is a really nice guy and maybe he's just going to decide that perhaps our sins weren't that big of a deal after all and he'll just ignore them. That's not how God's forgiveness is going to come to us. God's forgiveness is going to be based on real payment. Our sins will be punished. Justice will be served. The price will be paid. But it's not going to be paid by us. It's going to be paid by our substitute. It's going to be paid for by God's one and only Son. And if you read far enough into the Bible, eventually you get to the New Testament, and you meet God's one and only Son. You meet Jesus, the one who lives a perfect, sin-free life that now gets to count for us. And the one who dies on the cross to pay the penalty for all of our sins. And then the one who rises from the dead at Easter so that we can be assured one day we too will rise and go to heaven. But the result is, in Christianity, we don't have to hope that God will forgive us our sins. In Christianity, we know that God already forgave us our sins because of everything Jesus has done for us. So this is what God's Word does. This is what it's doing for us already as we talk about it. It lifts up our eyes from our selfish, sinful selves, and it puts our eyes onto Jesus. 
And with eyes fixed on Jesus instead of ourselves, we don't have to check certain boxes and perform certain actions so that we can feel like now God is going to like us. With our eyes fixed on Jesus, we don't need to solve the Bible and perfectly interpret it as though it's some kind of puzzle that now we have figured out. With our eyes fixed on Jesus, we can simply walk the path of life with joy and certainty knowing that we're part of God's family because of our Savior. And eternal life is ours because of our Savior. But as we walk that path, sometimes it gets dark. We talked about this with the kids, and I think adults, as you read and hear and know more things about the world, you recognize the truth of this, that our world can be a dark and scary place. And how do we navigate it? And how do we keep track of where we're going? And how do we know if we're on the right path? Well, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path every day. God's word is not just this one-time announcement of the good news of Jesus' forgiveness, so now we're in God's family, but God's word is also a manual for every single day, walking in the light of God's forgiveness throughout the dark, scary world that we live in. That's why the psalm writer says, I've taken an oath and confirmed it that I will follow your righteous laws. Accept, Lord, the willing praise of my mouth and teach me your laws. Teach me. What could be better and smarter and more worth following than the laws of the very almighty God who gave his own son to rescue us. And then the psalm writer gets real specific in these verses. He says, I have suffered much, but preserve my life, Lord, according to your word. Though I constantly take my life in my hands, I will not forget your law. The wicked have set a snare for me, but I have not strayed from your precepts. So no matter what is going on in our life, and no matter how dark and scary it gets, God's word still guides us in the hard times, in the scary times, in the times where we have enemies, in the times where we're, we're walking through a dark valley and we cannot see our way out to the other side. God's word continues to guide us. His promises give us perspective. His laws give us wisdom. His track record shows us that he is to be trusted. And so God's word is more than the thing that just brings us into his family. It's the thing that guides our steps every single day. The psalm closes, Your statutes are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. And with that phrase, to the very end, maybe we see why the psalm writer keeps talking about the value of God's word. It's more valuable than gold. It's more valuable than silver. Not because if you take your Bible to a pawn shop, they're going to give you, you know, more money than gold and silver for it, but because it lasts longer than gold or silver. Years after all the gold and silver and treasures and possessions and happiness and everything of this world is gone and over, God's word is going to live on. God's promises will continue to be fulfilled as we live with him and with each other in the eternity of heaven. So I pray that this summer God would build us up and build in us this attitude that God is going to guide us and light our paths all the way until we get there. We're not in to our faith and now God says, see you in heaven. But through his word, he lights our path and guides us every single day. May God grant that to us for Jesus' sake. Amen.
And now the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard and keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus, your Savior. Amen.